with our privileges come responsibilities. Lord, on a weekend like this, we remember people who got out of their comfort zone and gave their lives so that we could have the privileges and the freedoms that we so often take for granted. And so, Lord, I pray that today as we look in your word that you help us to do some personal heart searching about how we will be remembered what people will say of us, not just while we're here, but when we're gone. What our testimony, our epitaph, our mark will have been on this world for good and for God or for self. Help us to redeem the time and to note the hour in which we live and to live lives worthy of being remembered. In Jesus' name, amen. Last year on Memorial Day in Israel, we were inside Jerusalem. Memorial Day in Israel is far different than Memorial Day in the United States. In the United States, we look at the sale papers to see what we might get a bargain on and use our credit cards to buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't even know. We figure out if we can go to the lake or go to the beach or take a vacation or take a day off, if the bank is going to be closed or if the post office is going to be closed. That's not Memorial Day in Israel. For after only 60 years as a nation, there's still people alive who remember what the price was that was paid in 1948. Although declared a nation, they had to fight for it as they were attacked on multiple sides. National television in Israel spends 24 hours on Memorial Day running videos and testimonies of people who died fighting for the freedom of that nation. They interview moms and dads brothers and sisters, wives and children. And it's nonstop. This is this person's life. This is who this person was. This is what this person did. Here's the site where this person died. And they remember. It's a day when things are very solemn and very sacred because they realize that their freedom was paid for by the blood of men and women who were willing to give of themselves so that they could have the freedom to have a nation. At 11 o'clock on Memorial Day, we were able to make it to the Wailing Wall, to the Western Wall, for the two minutes of silence. In those two minutes, everything and everybody in that nation stops. Every car stops right where it is at 11 o'clock. Every person walking down the street stops right where they are for two minutes until the sound is made to declare that the celebration of freedom can begin. We were able to be there and watch that moment of silence in the courtyard area outside the Western Wall and to see while there was a flame burning and a 
quartered off area and soldiers were standing there. And as I went with our guide, Yuval, and we stood there, he said, those men right there are in the same unit I was in. For he and his father had been paratroopers in the Israeli army and had both fought in wars for the freedom of that country. They remember so they don't forget. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How will you be remembered when you're gone? What will it be that defines your life? The commitment of your time, your talent, your resources, your gifts. What will be remembered when you're gone by your family, by your friends? What will your epitaph be? What will your testimony be? Because everybody in this room, apart from the second coming of Christ, is going to die. Ultimately, your body is going to be taken and placed in a grave, or you're going to be cremated. Ultimately, you're going to face an eternity. How will you be remembered by those that are left? What will your testimony be? Will it be one that was given to God or will it be one that was given to just yourself? We see the excesses of our society. We see the materialism of our culture. We, we see the, the expanding debt that we have all because nobody in America wants to be told no about anything. We want it, we want it all, and we want it now, and we don't want to worry about what it ultimately cost us. We want freedom, but we don't want soldiers on foreign fields defending that freedom. We want nice communities, but we don't want to pay our police officers enough to make a living. We want safety, but we don't want the price that it takes to have it. We want a great church, but we don't want to invest in it to make it an even greater church. It's easy to say you want something, but how will you be remembered? Not by what you wanted, but by what you actually did with what God has given you. You look in the Bible and you see people that are remembered on a number of levels. You see Abraham who is remembered as a man of faith. The scriptures are very kind to Abraham because in Hebrews it doesn't mention his failures. It mentions his faith. But we also know about Lot. And also Lot was called righteous Lot. We still know that Lot chose to live as much in the world as he possibly could. And it cost him his family and his reputation. We know about David, a man after Saul, God's own heart. And then we know about Saul, who consulted with a witch and ended in tragedy. We know about the apostles who spread the gospel throughout the world. But we know about Judas, who sold out the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. There are very few names of people that we know that were alive at the time of Jesus. But of those we do know, we know some things about them that help us to remember them and to define them even 2,000 years later. One is a lady called Mary. She lived in a town just a few miles east of Jerusalem. 
But her story is told in the scriptures and given to us in Mark chapter 14 and in John chapter 12. Mark chapter 14, Jesus was in the city of Bethany. And this particular account happens in the city of Bethany. It's a remarkable story of an incredible woman. Dr. Alan Redpath one time was preaching on Mary and on her life and on her witness. You remember this is the same woman that sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him while Martha was busy in the kitchen. And, and Dr. Alan Redpath got up and said, I am in love with a woman other than my wife. And everybody in the room gasped and he said, but my wife approves. Her name is Mary of Bethany. This lady is absolutely incredible. If you want to know what to pray for, for your children, for your girls, moms and dads, pray that they have the spirit of Mary of Bethany, that they carry out the characteristics, the love of Jesus that this woman had. Mark chapter 14 and verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. Notice verse 8. She has done what she could. That is a key statement. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, here's her epitaph. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Jesus honored Mary in a moment and for all eternity. Here's a woman who is in a house, they're celebrating, and, and Mary is overwhelmed and overcome, and she goes and she gets this expensive bottle of perfume. Some commentators will say that this was a year's worth of salary. She takes it and she breaks it over the head of Jesus to anoint him for burial. Now, none of the disciples that have been walking with him for three years even thought about this although he had been preaching and teaching that his death was fast approaching. Not only did she break that over him, but she's also the woman who has the tears that are falling down and she wipes his feet with her hair. John 12 tells us that the smell of this perfume filled the room and Jesus said, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And so I want you to see a few things this morning. Number one, Who's the story about? Well, it's about Jesus. He's obviously the main character of every page of Scripture, but this woman is the sole supporting cast. All the rest of them are insignificant to the story. 
Everyone else pales in comparison in this story to Jesus and Mary. As far as the world is concerned, nobody really knew who she was. Pilate would not have known who she was. The Pharisees probably didn't know who she was. Certainly Caesar didn't know who she was. But God knew who she was. Here is a woman who the world didn't know, but God knew her. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Here's what God did. God took a nobody and made them a somebody because they found someone. That's what the gospel does. God takes nobodies and makes them into somebodies, not because of their personality, not because of their talents, not because of their gifts, but he makes them into somebodies because of the grace of God changing a person's life. And this is what God has done with Mary. Now, what's it about? It's about one moment in her life. You know, they have on the, the uh, NCAA finals one shining moment. And, they, and it's one of the, you know, forget watching the tournament. Just watch the finals, you know, five-minute one shining moment song on CBS. And you kind of get the, the gist of the whole tournament. One shining moment. This is her one shining moment. And yet she's ridiculed for it. She did what she could. She took her most precious possession and poured it out on Jesus. Well, you may not be somebody popular or famous, but you can do what you can. You may be a singer, a musician, a teacher. Do what you can do. You may have gifts that you're not using. Are you doing what you could do? We talked in the last message about living up to your potential. God has not gifted you or given you talents for you to hold them back. He has given them to you so that you can do what you can in this world to make a difference for Christ. He's not given it to you for you to hide under a bushel and to kind of put in a safe and guard it for another day. He has given you what he has given you so that it can be used for his glory. There's an old song that says, if just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. Here's the, the principle. God can demand anything of us because he is our source and he is our supply. So when God makes a demand on our lives, he's not making a demand that is impossible for us to meet. He makes a demand because he is our source and he is our supply. He is our strength to meet the demand that he puts on us. And everything God asks us to do, he has already given us through his Holy Spirit or the way he has made us, he has given us everything we need to do what he's told us to do. And so nobody can ever say to God, I can't do that. If God asks you to do it, he's equipped you to do it. If God's called you to do it, he's equipped you to do it. Well, that's out of my comfort zone. If God calls, he supplies. If God asks, 
He's already given you what you need to meet that. The question is not how much can I do? The question is, have I done what I can do? And every one of us will one day stand before God to give an account of have we done what we could have done? Have we lived up to the potential that we had? Here's a woman who learned at the feet of Jesus, and then she served the Jesus she learned from. See, worship should lead to serving. It should lead to a response on our part to God and to his word that we want to serve him. And Mary understood something that the disciples didn't understand. It's in the text. She knew his body needed to be anointed. By the way, if she had waited, Jesus wouldn't have been anointed for burial. Jesus knew something and she knew something because she had spent enough time with Jesus. She knew what was coming. She had believed that Jesus was going to be crucified as he said he was going to be. The disciples didn't get it. She got it. And Jesus says, she's anointed me for burial. If the disciples had waited until they had a committee meeting, he wouldn't have been anointed for burial. So you see, here's Mary, who a week before Jesus is going to be crucified, is so sensitive to God that she knows that this body of Christ needs to be prepared for what it is about to go through. And she goes and gets the most expensive things she has, and she gives it to him. Where did it take place? Well, it took place in the house of Simon the leper. That's obvious. It's in the text. But it took place in a room full of critics. Because here's a woman who does a good thing, she does the right thing, and she gets criticized for it. By the way, let me just tell you something. If you do good things, you're going to get criticized for it. The whole world's not going to stand up and applaud you because they're going to want to know why you didn't do a good thing for them or why you you didn't do more for them. She got criticized by people that were in the room that were close to him. And and you don't have time to turn there, but John chapter 12, beginning with verse 4, I love love this. God's word is so honest, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? So now you know who he's talking about in Mark's gospel and given to poor people. And we've had that question asked of us. Why, why you got this legacy park and, and why do you have this building? You could give that money away. Listen, can I just give you a principle? You can't help poor people if you don't have something to help them with. That's a basic principle of life. You know who helps poor people? People that have resources. Hello? Now, if you're not using it to help, that's another issue. But there's no sign on the door. Listen, we've been criticized. People say, you know, don't go to Sherwood. If you go to Sherwood, they ask for your 1040 form to see what your tithe will be. Well, we don't do that. I thought about it. (laughs) But we don't do that. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor. By the way, some people I hear concerned about the poor are not doing anything to help them. He did this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, 
He was the treasurer of the disciples. Be careful who you make the treasurer. He used to pilfer what was put in it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, and you do not always have me. And the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom, they, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Now here's a woman who has now identified herself with Jesus to the point that she's endangering her own life with good people who intend to not only kill Jesus, but they're going to kill Lazarus because he's a living testimony of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. By the way, just a, a side note here. Judas is present, who used to pilfer the treasury. Now, hang on to this because it's an eternal principle. A person who will rob God will also sell him out. You see, if you're a God robber, if persecution came to this land and somebody said to you, denounce Jesus or die, you will denounce him. You will deny, you will become an apostate because it's a short step from stealing from God to taking 30 pieces of silver to say, there he is, take him. It's a hidden story within a story, but it's a true principle. If you'll rob God, you'll deny him because you've already denied that he's Lord. The issue is, is he Lord? Here's a woman who made him Lord, who, who gave him control of her life. Now, when did it happen? Uh, well, it happened at a divine appointment just before the crucifixion. And if Mary hadn't anointed Jesus, he wouldn't have been anointed. Can I tell you something? One of these days, it's going to be too late for you to do what you've been saying you're gonna do for Jesus. One of these days is going to be no more days. One of these days, it's going to be too late for you to read your Bible. It's going to be too late for you to pray. It's going to be too late to witness. It's going to be too late to give. It's going to be too late to forgive. It's going to be too late to go on that trip. It's going to be too late to mend those fences. It's going to be too late to influence your kids because you kept putting it off, thinking, at a more convenient time. One of these days, it'll be too late to be saved. The book of Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, why is it important? because she did what she could, and she did all that she could. Matthew 16, 25 says it this way, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Now, here, here's an important note here. And, there's a, there's a whole 
movement that's going across our land right now, and we are the richest nation in the world. Uh, Mark Rick said this week he's selling his house on Lake Hartwell because he wants to do more for missions and give more to God. And, and he said, you know, we are the richest nation in the world. If you make $30,000 a year, you are rich by the world's standards. You're a rich person by the world's standards. And so there's, there's a movement because everything always, pendulums always swing. That's why my favorite statement of Warren, Warren Wiersbe is, blessed are the balanced. Because we've been a nation that has embraced and chased after and foamed at the mouth over the prosperity gospel. You can have it all. You can have a car. You can have a house. You can have anything you want because Jesus owes it to you. It's part of your redemption. <laughs> well, that's a lie, first of all. Because that gospel doesn't sell in India, it doesn't sell in communist China, it doesn't sell in Africa, it doesn't sell in the former Soviet Union. That gospel is not the gospel. And anybody selling that is a false teacher. But, at the same time, we don't need to let the pendulum swing that everybody says, I need to sell everything I have and, and give to the poor. Jesus only asked that of one person, the rich ruler. Why? Because the rich ruler, his God was money. His God was money. Now, the point is this. There, there's a movement going on right now about everybody ought to take a vow of poverty. We ought to, you know, walk. It, it, here's the thing. If you have a car, get a motorcycle. If you have a motorcycle, get a bicycle. If you have a bicycle, walk. I don't know what you do if you walk. I don't, you know, I don't know where you go down the ladder from there. That's not what God is saying. Because some of the greatest ministries in the world have been started by philanthropists who gave sacrificially and willingly to start ministries around this world. Now, here's the deal. And some people have gotten this, and I know the guy, and I love his books, but some people have gotten this from reading Radical and Radical Together, both of which are good books. But David wrote those books... I believe, to say prosperity gospel is wrong. Let's get some balance. And anytime you want to get balance, you always swing the pendulum to the other direction so it comes back somewhere towards center. And he's just trying to get us towards center. Now, God calls some people to give up things and move to other parts of the earth, and that's good. But God doesn't call everybody to do that. But God calls some people to give up and to sacrifice much. God calls all of us to do what we can. The issue is lordship. The issue is, Lord, here's my life. Here are my resources. This is my bank account. This is my retirement. This is my car. This is my home. These are my goods. They're all at your disposal. You do with them what you want to do. They belong to you. Giving and surrender are heart issues. God's not as much concerned about bank account as he is about your heart. And God is not so concerned about you saying, well, what's he doing? And what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? And you saying, well, you know, we could have saved that. We could have used that money a different way. God is concerned about are you doing all you can do? 
Are you giving all you can give? Are you serving all you can serve? Are you witnessing the way you can witness? He's interested in are you doing all you can do? How will you be remembered a hundred years from now? Nothing I've given to the kingdom and nothing I've done in serving the Lord has been wasted. I have wasted some money in my life. I got records that I had to have. Now I can't even figure out how to convert them to a CD. I've had clothes I've had to have and then I had to take them to Goodwill because I didn't want to wear them anymore. I mean, it's stuff. Tom Pollock was sharing this morning in our staff meeting early this morning about one of the ladies in our church that may just have the spirit of Mary. Her name's Helen Cordell. She's 99 years old. She can barely see. She lives in an assisted living home here in town. And she called Tom this week. She doesn't have a lot. She's lived very frugally all her life since her husband Joe died years ago. 99. And she said, Tom, I'm afraid I'm not going to do what I need to do with this bridge campaign. Can you come out and help me make sure that I'm doing what I need to do and I'm doing my part now, can I tell you something? She's never going to park a car in those parking spaces, ever, because she can't drive. She's never going to sit in these areas up here that need lights, ever, because she's almost lost all her vision. It wouldn't matter to her anyway. She will never walk inside the buildings that we plan with our master plan. But I want to tell you something about Helen Cordell. As long as I've got anything to do with it, she's going to be remembered. Because she's doing what she can with what she's got. And that's all God ever required of you. I want to ask you, in your singing, in your serving, in your worship, in your giving, in your love for God, are you doing all that you can do? It is a lordship issue. And whether you do it or not will be how you are remembered by your friends, by your family, by your Lord. Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Some of you today, God has given an opportunity for you to come to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And today is a day of salvation and now is the hour for you to come and to give your heart to Christ. And men are going to be at the end of these aisles. Our, our staff members are going to be here and 
when we begin to sing, I'm going to invite you to step out and to come and to say to one of them, find one of them. They're standing right here at the end of the aisle and say, I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Some of you, where you are, are at this altar need to stop fighting and resisting. You need to do away with the spirit of Judas that looks at other people and says, what about them, Lord? What are they doing? Let me judge what they're doing. And you need to look at yourself and say, Lord, am I doing all I could? Am I doing what I could with what I have and with what you've given me? Am I serving you the way I need to be serving you? And for some of you, this altar needs to be a place where you just come and say, Lord, I don't have an alabaster jar. I I don't have a bottle of perfume that's a year's salaries but I do have my life and I give my life to you today I give my life I lay it on the altar to you today to say Lord I want to make a difference with my life I want to serve you with my life as we begin to sing I'm going to ask you to just step out from where you are and make a public response to God don't allow the enemy to say well you ought to think about that listen you've had plenty of time to think about it sometimes you just got to get up and do it And today's that day for you to make that decision and to make that stand for Jesus Christ. You step out and you come as we sing. If you can use it.